Yep. It's time for the Great Scratch Pop with Coach Jason Pridmore, presented by Arai Helmets. And I'm Greg, which means JP is hanging out at home. What's going on, JP? How was swinging the club the last couple days? Oh, well, all good, G-Dub here. Uh, yeah, it's it's so weird. Is it bad that I don't want to say that I tried to qualify for the U.S. Senior Open yesterday? Yeah, Years I ago. Mean, you know, it is what it is. But see, senior in golf is 50. So that's me. That's, I, I guess I got to own it. So I, I I tried yesterday. There was 83 guys, G-Dub, trying for two spots. And I ended up... I think I Are you sure tied. that's right? Are you sure that's right? What do you mean? I could have sworn I looked at the results and it said 91. Not like it yeah. makes a difference, but... Yeah, there was like 85 or 88, 90. I don't know. There was a bunch. Yeah. Trying for two spots and I ended up tied for fifth and um i missed some putts yesterday that g-dub if i put a putter in your hand you would you would laugh at me you'd go you'd miss you missed this length of a putt yeah i did and so that's where my weakness is right now and i gotta make it more of a strength but i had a good time and i'm working hard on things and got some goals with that i'm trying to accomplish but man it's june 2nd already the time is just flying by we got a lot going on we got races from this past weekend and we got you on a you riding a ton yeah yeah a ton ton oh my god i'm gonna be on the i'm gonna be on the motorcycle on the road for 21 days your ass is gonna be hurting (laughs) Hurting. what ass and i hope that yeah and i hope the weather's good for you that's the thing i mean i'm me too i mean i hope it. i think it will be though it's gonna be summer so hopefully it'll be okay and yeah and you might get the occasional summer thunderstorm and some of your routes might have to yeah i'm going to london I'm going to London, Kentucky tomorrow to do an ASA tournament, and it's about six and a half hours from where I live. And I thought, you know what? This why not ride the motorcycle? Oh my god! But there are apps and there are programs you can find online, like a website that says, like you know, map my ride, but with weather forecasts. And tomorrow it's just going to be nothing but thunderstorms and rain Mm. all the way. So I was like, you know what? Cars aren't looking so bad. Cars looking great. <laughs> Car yeah, is looking. Look, you don't need to. You don't need to punish yourself, right? I mean, no, that's that. But it's so weird. You know how my brain gets. I'm just. Like, oh, nope. I do. I yeah. decided I'm gonna ride. I'm gonna ride. So. I kind of let it go about two hours ago. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna take the car. Everything's gonna be fine. Wow, so, you're finally starting to wise up, G Dub. That's great. I am working on the bow case situation. So I, you know, as you saw, I have that that bow case rack, and it fits on the bike. Everything's great. But I'm working with Ducati. Uh, to figure out a solution to relocate um, some blinkers, basically to add blinkers and the taillight. Because Jay, things have gotten so electronically sophisticated right now that the entire electrical system on that Ducati, if you vary it by an ohm or two, it could like basically th- start throwing codes and that type of stuff. And the fact that it has the radar on it, the, the adaptive cruise control, and that if something's in your way, it'll break for you. That means that now the brake lights are even integrated into the entire electronic system because Crazy. when it automatically brakes for you, the brake light turns on. So working with Ducati, it's it, uh, they've been great about it. Um, the the guy that I'm working with, but it's just a slow process because it's a new, it's a brand new motorcycle. So it's course, a matter of, of like, you know, and obviously being a brand new bike. But anyway, that that's that whole thing. Um, look on this on this podcast, you know, we're going to be talking about MotoGP, World Superbike, American Flat Track give you some results there. Pro Motocross was underway. Uh, we definitely want you to subscribe to the channel. Um, but before we get any further, this one is presented by Arai. And Jason, I'm going to tell you something. 
Arise Proprietary One Piece Multi-Density EPS Liner was developed to precisely position the most appropriate density for each part of the liner. This indispensable technique is an absolute necessity for producing a form that maximizes glancing off, or in other words, a shell that's round and smooth. Learn more at AriAmericas.com. AriAmericas.com. It's the Ari difference. All right, Jay. Look, I wish people could watch you read that when I'm sitting here watching you read that. I'm staring. <laughs> that was all at the top of my head. What are you talking about? Uh-huh. We, we, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now nice that work. now that we're doing some video stuff. By the way, we talked about doing Zoom last week in the podcast, and I got some messages from people. I've searched the internet. I can't find the video. Like, oh we're, God! We're not, last thing you not, want to do is look at our ugly heads. Oh, well, we're not. Yeah, especially because you were in a dark room. It was pretty sad. Yeah, and, exactly. And look, Jay. Speaking of sad, um, you know. Our heartfelt condolences go out to the family and friends of 19-year-old Swiss rider Jason DePasquier, who succumbed to injuries sustained Saturday during that Moto3 uh, qualifier. The sport that we love so much, man, it gives us so much, Jay, but it takes away just the same, you know? Yeah, you know, and, and you know, we've been through this a few times before in our lives. It's, it's, yeah, it's we have. horrendous. And, but it's the highs are the highest and the lows can be the absolute lowest. And on a day like that, you know, I feel for everybody, not just for Jason's family and obviously, um, but I feel for, I think, was it Sasaki that was involved in that? I believe I feel for him. I feel for the whole paddock because it's one of those things. It's, it's uh, you walk around the paddock with this just big lump in your stomach and you just feel like, should I be here? Should I not be here? Should we be doing this? Should we not be doing this? And you know, the old, the old cliche that everything is that, you know, whoever it was that passed wouldn't want the event to be canceled. And it's not necessarily about the event at that point. It's just that you just feel, you just, you, you, it, it casts a big shadow over the racetrack on, on a weekend like that. So especially at such an important weekend as Magello is to so many, um, you know, there were no fans there this weekend. Uh, so it probably made it even a little bit more kind of eerie, if you will. Yeah. Um, good but, point. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just a sad day. Sad, very, very, very sad, especially somebody that young. Uh, Moto three is highly competitive. Those guys race close. The race was amazing as we saw, uh, as usual at Magello. But yeah, our, our thoughts and everything go out to the whole Moto GP paddock and everybody involved with Jason. I mean, do you have an opinion on if they rate, should have raced or not raced? There's a couple ways of looking at that. Um, I, I think that I think if the decision gets made to not race, there's also a feeling of like this wasn't the right decision. You know, I think that we go down this path of, you know, what would Jason have wanted everybody to do? You know, of course he's going to be like, hey, line up. I need you. You know, I, I think I think I think if it was you or if it was me, something like that happened on a race weekend we'd want to be almost remembered more by the races weekend themselves. Um, uh, this weekend will always be known as the weekend that, ha- you know, unfortunately that's what happened with Jason. And I, you know, Greg, I, I, I can see some writers point of view with it. Um, I forget which MotoGP writer made the point that had it been a MotoGP writer, they probably would have canceled the weekend. And that's a little bit disturbing because there might be some truth to that. So then you start to go, well, so somebody in the lower classes doesn't matter as much as somebody in the premier class. But um, I think they did the right thing by racing myself. Uh, I think it's horrible that the news came out an hour before. Like, I think it broke right at the end of the Moto3 race, and it came out right before Moto2. It, I believe you're right, but I don't think any of the Moto... I know for that the 
top three in Moto Two did not know that he had passed. So yeah. it came out about an hour before the GP start, and that's the interesting bit. And I'm not sure people are asking that question. It's like there's never never it? good timing, right? Right. And 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 when if things if things get leaked, that's the worst part. If if things get leaked from the hospital or whatever, it's just you know I think that I think that there's no good time for the news. There's no you know, there just isn't. And there isn't, but Jay, let's talk about focus. So obviously you look at, we're going to get to the results and everything here in a second when, you know, when you kick it off, but there was an incident obviously with Pecco Bagnaya, who is, you know, right up there in the championship and he was right up front and he mm -hmm. crashed. Riders talked about how every time they went past, what was the turn? The incident was in turn. Yeah, down, I, it was the right, it was the right hander that, that Pecco actually crashed in. The incident happened on the exit, and he fell going into it in uh, Arabiata one and yeah. two. Is that what they call it? I think it was yeah. turn nine is where yeah. the incident happened. So well, they anyway, call it, they call it they call it though, like yeah, I yeah. Got there's it names long, for it. I don't. I'm not yeah. familiar with the circuit yeah. like that, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, you know, Quateraro had mentioned, you know, that he thought about it every time he went by and that type of stuff. So it's I understand from one side it's like to to learn an hour beforehand that you know and that paddock is small I mean if you think about how many people actually race like that are actually racers I mean it's it's well under a hundred people and that's a pretty small community that travels around to 19 20 races yeah a lot of people don't know the moto three riders they're not like super tight with them but they understand that that this is the future I mean I don't know if you saw the the photo that was posted by was it aspar from 2016 when you had um oh yeah that was good photo mir and um mir quateraro and yes. uh, and and Oliveira, they were all teammates yes. and then they get to stand on the podium together so you look at that and you go okay that's a moto three team you know what i mean and and who's paying attention they they get i, I think know, a lot of the moto gp riders really take these moto three kids under their wing though like well, I, they, I feel like they do they, yeah. they do and but yeah. but they also came from moto three so that's correct yeah and, it, and the other thing you got to remember too g-dub is there's there's no friends or family at these events right now. Like in MotoGP and in World Superbike right now, it is literally, or it has been. Um, yeah, limited. It's totally limited, limited people. Too. So it's it's going to be very, very quiet um, compared to how it normally would be. And then you eliminate all the fans. You know, look, it, at the end of the day, every rider is going to have their own belief on what they feel is right and what they feel is wrong. Everybody has their own religious ideas and beliefs about what's right, what's wrong. You know, and, and the event was happening. Um, and, and, you know, I've had a couple people say, is it sour grapes that Bagnaya tipped off? And then he comes out and says that we heard Petrucci say that, I think, uh, or maybe it wasn't Petrucci. It was definitely Rossi kind of maybe said something, I think too. And Rossi, Rossi was for racing. He was definitely for racing. Okay, good. All right. Yeah. I thought I read something where, where, when my opinion is yeah. I was, I was for racing, but there were there were a couple people that dipped, definitely came off a little bit as sour grapes, but on the other hand, yeah, but you can't really blame them. And I mean, look, if if that's really what they felt, it's what they felt. I don't think that course. they're going to use their and platform I'm going to tell you to something, dude. Political I am things like that. A huge, huge Peco fan. Oh, me huge. too. I am huge. Yep, on I'm the racetrack and personally, so bummed I just to think see him fall over. So class bummed. act, of course. So if that's the way he felt, then then that's great. And and in, you know what, Jay? In the world, it makes no difference what somebody's opinion is anyway. They did race. It's in the books. And that's where we are. That's exactly right. Yep, 100% right. Well, let's just get right to it. And let's talk about this MotoGP race. Because it was a weekend that I think that a lot of uh, people build Ducati to come in. And we heard, we heard him even talking about like this, you know, earmarked as kind of a Ducati lockout of the podium. And it was anything but. I mean, Us too, by the thing. way. 
<laughs> yeah, us too. It's great. Yeah. I mean, sorry, my, fan- <laughs> my fantasy team went to Ducati this week. I mean, as far as I didn't get to change my team, but I was like the writers and stuff. I was like, oh, Ducati's going to probably mop up. Well, again, couldn't be more wrong. And I think the really neat thing, Greg, is we have four different brands in the top four. How about two KTMs in the top five? Quattararo looks unstoppable right now. The arm pump surgery seemed to have worked, and it just looks like it's, I don't want to say fairly easy, but it looks fairly easy for him right now. The Yamaha seems to be working very well. Oliveira does a tremendous job to end up two and a half seconds back, fighting off Juan Mir the whole way uh, the last few laps. Zarco, really nice fourth place for him with Bender, the second of the KTMs rounding out the top five. KTM looks like they have possibly found something, and they've got some new news that we'll talk about here shortly in a minute. Um, Rounding through the top of the, the races here, uh, Miller ends up sixth. Alesha ends up seventh. I think it's a good result for Aprilia. Eight seconds back. Uh, interesting to see Dovey there hanging on the weekend and, and always standing in front of Aprilia signage, which obviously we know he's a test rider for them, which is normal, but it still looked kind of weird. Maverick Vinales, who, yeah, I don't even know what to say. 17.2 back. <laughs> Vinales says on Saturday on, t- on camera that, he has got the pace to win, whether it's raining, whether it's dry. He's got a great thing. And then this morning I read that he said he lost all feeling with the motorcycle. So pretty weird. Ends up 17.2 seconds behind his teammate. Uh, we'll get into it in a minute between him and uh, Marquez in qualifying. Did you get to watch that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was pretty good. So Petru- Petrucci ends up ninth. So three KTMs in the top 10. Rossi 10th. Iker Lekawona ends up literally, I mean, splitting hairs from being uh, all four KTMs in the top 10. He almost beat Rossi. Paul Spargo with just a disheartening 12th behind those guys. Um, and, and him, by the way, first Honda, uh, which is just insane because Nakagami, I think, fell off and so did Mark Marquez. Piro ends up 13th. Um, Alex Marquez ends up 14th. And Savadori is the last of your point pennant finishers in 15th. Morbidelli got ran off the track early because of an incident with Marquez and Luca Marini, Greg. I mean, uh, Luca Marini ends up 17th. When you look at some of the stuff, did let's just get right to it. Did you see Anea Bastianini run into the back of uh, Zarco? Yeah, I did. I saw yeah, all I, the angles. What the I, hell, man? I've wondered when that was going to happen, though. When you think about it, you, you, you see guys. I mean, look, the reason why MotoGP riders do it is to heat their brakes up. Uh, carbon brakes because they need to get heat in the, in the brakes and this and that. I kind of laugh when I see people doing it, you know, with regular brakes and oh, that's pretty funny coming up yeah. to the lines. Like, or like no reason or like weaving that. to warm up their tires and stuff yeah. like that, which just, doesn't work. Yeah. But but you gotta, <laughs> it, but it just goes to show you that, I mean, how many bikes are on the grid? 22, 23, 22, 22, 22 guys on the grid and guys at the very, 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 very highest level. Bastianini came straight out, held up his hand and said, I need to pay more attention. I need to, make sure that, you know, see what's going on in front of me. And I need to pay more. I thought that was great that he just, he just put his It's great. Up. And it, and it's true, Jay. I mean, look, Correct. way back in 1995, when I took Ed Bargy's rider school, mm-hmm. okay. Never forget it. One of the first things that he taught us, because it wasn't like how to ride a bike. This was like race procedure. This is how you get on the track. This is how you get off the track. These are the flags. This is what you do. That's what this school was about. Yep. And one of the things he said was, look, people, if you're the rider behind, it's your responsibility 100%. to pass safely. The, 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 the people behind you can't see you. There's no rear, there's no rear view mirrors on this thing. You've, if you're the person behind, you're responsible. And 
I can tell you that Bastianini took responsibility and I was like, okay. And the fact that Zarco, Jason, though, this was the thing as I'm watching him race, the fact that Zarco didn't just roll over and say, well, the bike got hit. It didn't feel right. I'm pulling in. I thought that was awesome personally, because there's every opportunity for him to whinge out of it because you could see that the back tail section was like cracked and, you know, it it took a big hit and Zarco just kind of turned around and was like, and then he turned around again. I don't know if you saw the replay of that and just saw Bastianini sliding down the track and he was like, all right, we're going racing. Yeah. Well, it's gotta be, yeah. I mean, you can see that there were some damage to the bike, but Mm -hmm. just pretty wild. So let's get back to qualifying. And we watched this first qualifying session between Marquez and Vinales and, um, I actually <laughs> went back and forth with uh, with Kyle Wyman on this, to be honest with you. We, we had a little bit of a texting thing because I thought it was really interesting. And there's two ways of looking at this. Um, you know, Marquez comes out and apologizes to Vinales, basically, and says, but it's within the rules. He was looking for a toe. He was looking for a way to uh, to to get a lap time. And he did. He, he gets a lap time off of Vinales. But I just don't think it's hard to say that Vinales isn't mentally strong. I mean, I just think that you got to look at, there's some people that will be more mentally strong because did you see Bender? Marquez decided that Bender was going to be his mark in qualifying too. Did you see that? Yes. Bender looks back and was like, eh, I don't okay. give a shit that you're there. And he actually yep. buried Marquez. Like he, he just didn't care. And Vinales just seemed to care a little bit too much that Marquez was there and it played in his dome and it played in his head. And yeah, it's frustrating. And, but what what can you really do? And I said basically, Vinales should just come out and say. I, for me, I would have just I would have come out with a quote saying that I think it's great that Mark isn't as fast as he used to be anymore, and that he needs to use me as a toe. And and uh, I'm honored the fact I'm I'm honored that the fact that an eight time world champion would want to toe off of me. So I just think it goes to show where Marquez is right now. And and instead of bitching about it or moaning about it or you know, come out with something that's going to, you know, fire back a little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. First of all, it's been, this is this type of tomfoolery has been done for years. I mean, I remember probably getting close to the last season. Maybe it was the season when Alex Crevier won the championship. If Mick was still around, I can't remember. It was right around that time. Mick Dewan and Alex Cre- Crevier used to follow Mick Dewan around in the races. Yeah, if you remember 100%. correctly, Oh yeah, right Mick towards the end of that all the time, all the time, right? Like Alex just follow him, follow him, follow. And then on the last lap, he would just make a lunge and he yeah. would win more of those races. If he could follow Mick around and Mick would get pissed about it. And it was like, okay, Crevier's in his head, you know? And, and I'm not taking any away from Mick Dewan. Mick Dewan no, is an absolute not. stud and a great guy. And you'd be in it and you, and you, and you, and you'd think to yourself that it's impossible impossible to get in the head of like a guy like McDoin. <laughs> sure. But <laughs> racers, know? racers are fragile. I mean, they really are. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before. R- racing is 90% mental. And if you could figure out a way to get a competitive advantage on someone, that's, that's one side of the equation. Why wouldn't you do that? Why yeah, wouldn't you no taunt question. him? If you think that you're going to get into Vinales's head, the question becomes for Marquez is like, why Vinales at this point? You know what I mean? Like, well, Vinales was there in Q1 with him. And I think that at the stage, that they were at it's uh you know the the poetic justice behind the whole thing would have been and i forget who just almost pipped marquez out of that that position i think it, it would have been just really interesting if marquez would have got booted out but vinales just seemed to like let it bother him too much and he should have just got on with it and just gone and done his lap and you know instead they're pulling back down pit lane and it's it's a hard it's a hard position to be in um 
but at the end of the day, it, it Marquez just didn't have the pace. Um, when you look at Marquez in the race, um, I believe I, I I forget who he ran into the side of. Was it Bender that he ran in the side of, or it was one of the KTM's? I believe that he he literally ran into the side of him, and then uh, he went down. Yeah, he went down, and, and uh, poor Von Rodelli had nowhere to go. And and we're hearing more and more now about the deficiency of Morbidelli's bike with it being so slow down the straights and, you know, he needs to be on a, on a better bike. And I think that something's going to have to something there, you know, when you look at the, you know, kilometers um, that they went down the straight, uh, you know, it was a hundred and, oh, was it 175.3 kilometers was Quattararo and Morbidelli was, at no, it would have been threes, three something. One, so they were in the three thirties oh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's miles per hour, Sorry. maybe. Yeah, it no, it can't be mile an hour because, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what it, it's. I'm just looking on the website here, but anyways, he's under he's under some deficiencies as far as top speed goes, and so uh, you know when is it that Yamaha steps up and gives him something? I think Morbidelli right now deserves to be on the absolute best of. I could see Morbidelli and Quattararo being on the factory team. But don't you think maybe still with the, with the lingering COVID effects, I'm not sure how many motorcycles, bits and pieces and parts they have available. It's not yeah, like true. there's a deep well. There's so so many people, companies around the world that are missing parts and pieces that I, I kind of wonder if maybe Yamaha went, okay, look, this is what we have. This is what we have to allocate. And so, you Isn't know. Isn't more sharing a garage with a guy that ain't doing shit on the one he's on? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I don't mean to be, I mean, look. Well, I, Rossi, I, I, but I feel Rossi like, also I feel came like out and said- <laughs> That 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 Quattararo is the difference, right? Well, he is. But 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 there was a tweet, and I I, I wish I would have saved. Somebody tweeted this stat, okay? That basically took the last I think it's like seven or eight years of total race time finished for the MotoGP race, okay? Mm-hmm. And they were within like two or three seconds of each other for the last like eight years, meaning yeah, wow. the total race time of Fabio Quattararo wins it at forty-one minutes sixteen seconds. Yeah. Okay. He beat that. 4116 has beaten the last like eight years by 15 seconds. It's wild. Like you've got to look at that and you go, okay, number one, there's more evidence that the field hasn't slowed down because Mark Marquez wasn't present. Correct. Right. And you have to go, how do you say that this track hasn't been much faster for the last eight years? And all of a sudden 15 seconds. And, and obviously we know that the Yamaha is not as fast on the top end, but Quartararo, dude, I mean, I wish we had some stat that said, this is the fastest corner on the racetrack. This is the fastest bike in that corner for the last yeah. 10 years. And here's how fast he was going because the majority of that stuff was just all done with corner speed, whether it's corner it's speed true. and using more RPM in the exit, whatever. I don't want to get into all that stuff. But once it, once he got down that front straightaway and nobody passed him, it was set in sail. And it seemed like he got it out to seemed like he got it out to three seconds and just kind of kept it there. Like it seemed like it was easy for him to keep it at three seconds and just kind of like roll along and Quattararo right now is the class of the field. I mean, he's amazing. And I think every weekend, Greg, getting on with it here a little bit, I think every weekend there's a surprise. Um, and the surprise this weekend would have been, I think the whole KTM, the whole KTM team. I mean, I think right now KTM still has the horses for courses type of thing where some of their bikes are going to be good at some places, maybe not at others. We've seen them struggle this year. We've seen them come out and talk about the front tire, but at this race, um, you know, here in Italy, Magella just seemed like to suit the KTMs. Oliveira was strong all weekend long. Bender did his normal thing on race day, was marching forward. Um, I mean, Bender was 4.9 seconds back at the end, only 1.9 off the podium. I mean, he was in there with a shout. 
uh, as far as uh, as far as the podium goes. Top speed on the KTM's looks uh, pretty strong, co- even compared to the Ducati. Um, I think for me, looking at Oliveira and Bender in the top five was was really good. I think, I, and it's it, I don't know if there's been a more disregarded world champion ever than Juan Mir, but he just always seems to find his way forward. Uh, in the races, it looked like his teammate was holding him up and he needed to get by Rins. He did that and just kept on closing the gaps down to everybody. The Suzuki, the deficiency on the Suzuki down the straightaway was very, very visible. And you kind of wonder, had he got through on Oliveira, could he have you know, made a charge and got up to Quattararo's tail? It, that would never, you know, it remains to be seen. But Mir is just a, he's a Sunday guy. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. So for me, Mir was the bigger surprised than Oliveira only because Oliveira had a really strong weekend. And I was like, mm, this guy's got podium speed. If you go look at the average laps and stuff, Mir is the one who surprised me who didn't surprise me was Alex Renz, unfortunately, but we'll talk about God, him in a four second. Four races, dude, four, four races in a, in a row where Renz is out through crashing. And, but yeah, here's, here's the thing wild. I want to say about the speed, like the overall mm-hmm. speed of the race. Yeah. Yeah. From one to seven. So it's Quartararo all the way down to Lacia Spargaro. Alicia Spargaro was eight seconds off and you go, oh my, it was eight seconds off in seventh, but his speed, him finishing within eight seconds of Fabio of Quadraro would have put him faster than the last seven or eight year average for the race win. You know what you, you understand wow. what I'm saying? Like, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so I think the, I think Quadraro beat it by 16 seconds, wow. the average yeah. and, and Alicia only finishes eight seconds back. Then you have Maverick in eighth place, 17 yeah. seconds back, right? So you look at that, you go, wow. I mean, Miller, total disaster in a run for the championship after winning two, 6.2 seconds back, but nonetheless, right? That's like, a long it, championship. He got points. The problem is, is that right now it looks like there's one guy that, you know, there's one guy that can just win everything. Quattararo right now just looks unbeatable and they're headed to, I think they're headed to Barcelona. Is it this weekend they're headed to Barcelona? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's a track that's also been... Yamaha territory. It's a good track for them, I think. And, um, you know, now, I, it's, yeah. I will say that at Catalonia, it, it will really get a sense of how the Ducati's turning better. If you know, like how the Ducati's getting better, because everybody was like, Oh, we go to Mugello, this top speed. And I was like, that, that, I've never heard that this track that we're going to, you have a straightaway that normally will, will joust with Bruno or with, um, uh, uh Qatar for top yep. speeds. We might see the outright, you know, 225 miles an hour go to 226, 227 by Zarco. Pretty I wild. Think. Yeah. So, it's, so, and it's downhill too. Isn't that front straightaway downhill a little yeah, bit? Yeah, it, exactly. And you come onto the front straightaway at a pretty high gear. Like third gear, probably. Third I these gear, guys are I think. Through there yeah, third, it depends yeah. on how they have the whole, you know, because GP bikes, obviously, you can just cassette, you know, put any gearing yeah. ratios you want in there. It just looks but, like it probably, those last two turns would probably be third gear turns, you know? Yeah, super fast. And, it, and you're on there for a long time in sixth gear. I remember when I was racing there on the BMW Boxer Cup bike. And no, here we go. Nothing. No, please. Let's just skip right by that. Could we please? <laughs> yeah, BMW Boxer Cup and MotoGP. There's, there's a comparison. I but I'm, but but Jay, here's the, here's the bottom yeah, line. Yeah. As you look forward, you've got to say a couple things that are going to be interesting. Number one, can KTM repeat in terms of? Um, you know, having a rider like Miguel Oliveira or Brad Binder, who, you know, signs another three-year deal with them, uh, staying close to the top all weekend. Can Ducati figure out a way to, to get their bike working a little bit better and maximize their biggest advantage, which obviously is acceleration, but more so that that 
fifth gear, sixth gear kind of like ripping grunt that they yeah. have. Yeah. And then the other concern I think right there, right now is what the hell Honda, you know oh, what I mean? Like Honda's they're just, in, they are, I mean, look, the whole Marquez thing to me, I, I'll put my hand up and say that I thought that by three, four races in, he would be closer. You know, he's not even, he's not even close. Like whether it be, whether it be physical or whatever, the bike isn't really showing anything. Nakagami's actually been pretty impressive at certain times this year, but man, it, they are, they are, they need a reset. They badly need a reset because something ain't happening there. Yeah, definitely. I, I'll tell you too, the other guy, I know we jump all over the place because our podcast is only so long, but the guy who just continues to press me every weekend is Zarco. He just always, he had a really, really tough Friday, ends up fourth in the Grand Prix, does a really nice job just moving himself up. And, you know, I think that when you look at some stuff, when, you know, this early in the year, we're starting to see guys get signed. And we just saw today that Remy Gardner got signed with KTM to to ride for Tech 3 next year. So one of these guys is going to be gone, either Petrucci or Ecolacamona. And then you looked at Bender. He got signed for three more years with KTM. So he obviously is full sale bought into this into the KTM program. You got to you got to think about Paul Espargaro looking back now, probably wishing he was still on that KTM. Uh, which just you know, it's especially after Mugello and the speed that that bike had, oh. the update that they made to the chassis. Oh. Now that he had all the yeah. things combined, you're going like. Oh well, and and when you look at when you look at it, riders on the hot seats, you know, like so you, you look at like a Eka Lacawona. I think Petrucci will be gone. I think both those guys will be gone at the end of the year. Myself, um, but but then you also look at like what is Suzuki going to do with Renz? The guys crash out of four races. Any team in the paddock would pick up Alex Renz right this second. I don't think Suzuki is even would. I mean, would they entertain the idea of getting rid of him? I mean, right now you got to mm. think that. They're he's begging got another for a year. result. He's got another year left on yep. his contract, doesn't he? Yep. Yeah, I think he's got one more year left, but he's got to start getting some results. I mean, Rins is better than this. Rins, to me, is better than crashing out a four Grand Prix in a row, and he's just continuously getting overshadowed by Juan Mir. I think I think if you were to say, here's half a million dollars who you putting your money on, I, I still think that the majority of people would have put their money on Rins at the beginning of the year. I really honestly believe that. And, and it's a little unfair to Mir because Mir is – amazing like he's i mean really 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 strong the suzuki has some top speed deficiencies i think when we get to like saxon ring and some of those the suzuki is going to be hard to beat um but anyways it's right now moto gp is a blast to watch we got another round this weekend coming up um you know they're in in barcelona which will be which will be good i want to talk greg now Montemello. Montemello, moto two remy gardner what a race. Remy Gardner just looked like he was sitting back there the whole time, looked like he was losing touch, and then he kind of brings him his way back in. And with a couple laps to go, he makes a charge on his rookie teammate, Raul Fernandez, who's simply amazing this this year as well. I mean, who says KTM doesn't make room for this kid if he wins the championship? I mean, right now, KTM's got a pretty strong list of young talent um, between Remy Gardner and Raul Fernandez and, of course, Acosta in Moto3. They have got quite the lineup. But Remy Gardner goes on and wins this race, Greg. Over his teammate, Bedzeki ends up third. Our own Joe Roberts ends up fourth, which is, we'll get into this in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing how many text messages I get from people going, I can hardly wait to hear what you're going to say about this this weekend. Schroeder fifth, Agura sixth, Arbolino, and Cambobie comes from, what, 24th? And ends up eighth. 24th so to eighth. Pretty good. Really, really super strong from, and he he had a, a race-long battle. Uh, they kind of would going back to that, but the guys who end up literally right behind Cam, he comes up on out on top of that was uh, Hafiz Sarin, Manzi, Kanet, 
Um, uh, how about this kid? This Furman Aldegir, Adegir, Adegir, Adegar. I don't know. You you know he's is I believe he's the one. He's 16 years old. This was his first race in 600 or in uh, Moto Two. This was his first Moto Two weekend, and he comes out of Q1 on top, goes to Q2, and then he ends up just putting the thing 12th in the GP. You know, 16 years old. So we got to watch. Dude, out and he for beats the likes of Hector Gartho, Jake Dixon, Jake Dixon Bo yes. Ben Snyder. Unreal. Vietti. You Unreal. know, it's like, yeah, it's great. Unreal. Big non-finishers again. Ugh. Sam Lowe's, unfortunately, with six to go, tosses it down the road again, which is just such a shame. I mean, it's just... Breaking my heart. Well, the thing that sucks is that you'll look back on a career and you'll look back on things when you're done racing and you'll go, man, what the... What was I thinking? Like... <laughs> Like, why couldn't I just finish You almost dropped an F-bomb. I knew that was, yeah, you, you almost did. I did. Yeah. I get frustrated. I, I do. I get frustrated watching these races because, you know, um, when you look back at things and you think of what people's potentials could be, what their, what their, their kind of legacy that they could create for themselves as they move forward and what a championship actually does for you as a rider when you go forward. And I just get so frustrated because... Um, I, I love Sam. He's such a good dude, like such a great, great guy. So positive. And, to, you know, at least in this one though, I'm going to say something. And in this one here, he was charging. He was, he was actually bringing Remy up to Fernandez and he didn't do it in the first couple laps. Like I get really frustrated when I see people go out in the first three laps of races over silly things. At least this one, he was actually having it go. And it was like, there was the potential of still winning the race. And, and, and it, he hadn't put a wheel wrong the whole race. I mean, he looks solid as. And so I feel bad. Digi Antonio, another non-finisher. Uh, Ramirez uh, from the American Racing Team, non-finisher. So there was a bunch of guys that didn't finish De La Porta out early uh, with Augusto Fernandez. So, But, I mean, when you look at it right now, Remy Gardner got this opportunity to go to MotoGP, Greg, because of the maturity he's shown over the last couple of years. He's gone from a team where he was having to override a bike, and now he's with KTM. It's almost like he's just matured and gone like, okay, I can run the pace, and I am capable of winning races. But you know what? I'm going to stockpile these points together, and I'm going to win this world championship. Totally different rider. Completely. Totally totally deserves to go to GP. I think he's going to do really well in GP. If he can... If this is legitimately a mental step for him and that aggressiveness, the anxiousness or whatever it is that caused him to hit the deck the last couple of years and have us just kind of shrug our shoulders because we all knew the kid had talent. He's got speed like that's not in question that, you know, you sit there and you go, man, if this dude is dialed in and this is the way he's going to be for the rest of his career people better turn around and take notice because this dude is really good. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Brad Bender a little bit. Um, I feel like, I feel like almost, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I feel like Remy has, has lost a lot of that franticness that we've seen where it's like, it's, it's like, he just seems like he's a, he's cool as a cucumber. Now he sits, he sits behind the leaders. He's not afraid to let him get a second or two out. He just grinds away the laps. And at the end of the race, he always seems to be there. So his fitness is amazing. We've seen this kid go through a lot um, with with leg injuries from motocross bikes and things. Um, but the maturity is there. And right now, he leads his teammate by a scant six points. Now, you can't take Bedecki out of this championship either, Greg. He's 26 points back, but he's another guy that kind of has been there. And we've got such a long, long season ahead of us still. That anything can happen, but 
Marco Bezzecchi, um will be another guy that I think will will be up in that that battle for the for the championship as well. Um, yeah, I think there's 14. If you look on their schedule, they have 22, but there crazy. aren't that many races that are going to be on the schedule. I think there's only 20, according to the FIM. But there's still a possibility. It hasn't been closed down yet. There's still a possibility they're coming here in September. That'd be amazing. It'd be amazing, yeah. and, and it would be good. Now, let's get to... I, I don't really want to dwell on this. Everybody knows Oh, yeah, you feel. do. Oh, yeah, you do. No, let's do I it. Hate, I hate it, dude. Let's I, do it. Because this, this, this thing you're getting ready to talk about is stuff. very specific per corner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just the dickheads that are Dorner right now that are that are that are making us read their stupid little scrolls across the bottom of the screen of guys getting penalized for stuff. You know the best part about the weekend for me was now there are actually writers tweeting about it about how stupid it is, how lame this is, how we can't make just logical decisions and look at things. I mean, the fact that they're going to they're going to take Oliveira's podium and make him go third. And they're going to move Rins, uh, Mir up to second. That and was then, total oh, wait a comedy. Minute. Total it's like, comedy. Oh, wait a minute. No, we're going to reinstate. And they've... Just stop it. All just... right. Let me, let me back up just in case there's anyone new listening to our podcast or whatever. So yeah. this is the way it's done. In MotoGP the last couple of years, what they've done is they've gone to these tracks. They've said, okay, look, we have a curbing. On the outside of the curbing, generally there would be grass. We're going to have asphalt there, and we're going to paint it green. So it's imaginary grass, okay? So the rule is, is that if you exceed track limits, which means go off the curbing, which, by the way, why do we even get to use the curbing, right? But, like, if you really think about it, why is there not the white line that goes around the track (laughs) stops at the curbing? So this is the part that I really have an issue with, because technically the curbing is there to kind of do the same thing that's being done now. Instead of having just a track, that you fall off of eventually, or, you know, at some point in the world, someone came up with an idea. Let's put a curb in there and let's put gator teeth in there. So it's like spending money to put sensors in this shit. Okay. But hold on. Let me, let me go a little further with this. All right. Cause I really need to paint this picture. So while you're, while you're in a race, you can exceed track limits. Meaning if you're because of these sensors, you trip these sensors or whatever, and you're off into the green, you get a warning, a track limits warning. You get one of those. I think the second one is an infraction, like a long lap penalty, with the exception of last lap. If you run wide and you're in the green and you gain an advantage, you ain't gaining you an advantage. So that's the whole beauty. Well, of well, here this is, and this is the problem I have. Okay, rules, all rules in life. It's just an agreement, dude. Okay, human beings made up these rules. They made up a red light. They made up a yellow light. They made up a green light. They made up a stop sign. Whatever it is. They're rules that are made up by human beings. To say it's in the rule book, this is the way it is, is such a dumb thing to say. That particular corner, what is it? Turn five, I think, is is that one? If someone, if some human being literally, instead of taking a hard right turn and making that green come in at a 90 degree angle, and they actually just kind of went with the line of the racetrack and just painted that white from green, we wouldn't even be having this issue. Oh. So you get what I'm saying, Jay? Like well, what's, what's beautiful about the whole thing is that, is that legitimately, and I thought it was like you get a couple times. I thought it was like you get one or two times. That you one. Run. You got one so, and you get, yeah. Re- regardless, it's, it's, you could do it in the race and legitimately make up time on me. Um, 
but if, like you say, if it's the and last get a warning lap, and get a yeah, warning because you know I've you got ran, a warning coming. And I've ran right. an absolutely completely clean race, and on the last lap, and I mean, we are talking about tires that are barely touching any part of anything. That it would, if it was grass, if it was literally grass, it would have the outcome stays the same. Did you watch the Moto Three race? I did. Okay. If you watch the Moto Three race, you're going to notice that at some point in that race, I can't remember. Let's say midway through. Yeah. There was a pack of what, 16 riders? I mean, unreal. Yep. Okay. All right. In that Moto3 race, go back and look. There is a rider on the front straightaway who gets pushed off to the right, who rides right through grass. Through the grass, 100%. Yep. And guess and what? You, know, you didn't get a penalty. How about this, though? How about coming out of the last corner at Magella where it's red, white, and blue? Mm-hmm. They are all over the paint everywhere. Right. Right. Like, and then they come down the front straightaway and they actually cut across that grass that you're talking about, or they have the ability to. Why? Because they know just on the backside of that grass, there's paint that's red, white, and blue. It's not green. Yep. So, and, and, and yet, and yet that is not a big deal. Like that's Well, the point, the point being Jay is that that green asphalt or that green paint on the asphalt on the outside of those corners was there to say, well, imagine it's grass. Yeah. Okay. But we're going to make it safer for you. And so it, this whole imaginary thing of, well, there, there's the racetrack, but now you're adding curbing. So I guess curbing's part of the racetrack now. It, like to me, if you look at from a helicopter perspective, it makes no difference. At the or, end I mean, of the day, it's weird. at the end of the day, G-Dub, they are human beings making something out of nothing. They're sitting there literally calling the races from the insider race control, which is, you know, the, the I think that when you look at an organization, you, you, I'm just going to use Moto America as an example here. When you use an organization like Moto America, Moto America wants to run races and that's it. They don't want to be the reason or the outcome of a race itself. They want to get there. They want to keep things fair, but they're not looking to impose themselves into the results in a way where they want to get involved. I I believe, and we'd have to talk to Chuck about this and a couple of the other people within race control, that they are there just to make sure everything stays somewhat, uh, I mean, it's all got to stay fair, but they're not trying to look for reasons to, to actually penalize guys. And when you look at, the penalties that these guys are trying to impose and everybody comes down on Freddie because Freddie's the guy in there, but there's got to be more than one Freddie person. Freddie Spencer. We're talking Freddie about Spencer. People. Sorry. I'm bad at always the last name thing, but Horrible. Yes. Uh, the thing is, is that you look at it, G-Dub and you go like, just let the races happen, how they're happening. Like I can't imagine one team owner. Can you imagine? Let me ask you this. Was there one team owner watching that Moto2 race that went, Oh, Joe Roberts just got an advantage. Dude, I, there's Come no pos- There's no way. Ugh. Number one, even Bedzeki was like, "Yeah, okay." I mean, if I'm Bedzeki, I'm like, "Yeah, I don't. I got Pete. I, I'm not. Like, why would I be on the podium? This is stupid." Like it's, and he kind of said that. Like he, he. Did. I didn't see. I didn't see his interview. Yeah, post race, but- he was like, "Well, okay, I get. Well, I guess I'm here, so I'll just embrace that I'm here." But yeah, but they're just they're cheapening this whole thing, and they're just making it stupid. And I'm so sick of riders, so scared of Dorna. And not just f-ing railing them, like just saying, like, what is going on right now? Like, what are you guys doing? This is like a team sits there and they work their asses off all weekend, and you're going to penalize a rider for that on the last lap. It's just, yeah, it 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 gets to me. You can tell it gets to me. <laughs> it does get to you, but I just want to make a distinction. I'm pretty sure that race control should be run by the FIM and not by Dorna themselves. You know what oh, I mean? So whoever's running it, because right. if you think about it, I mean. <laughs> What Dorn is doing is they they're the rule book, right? They're the ones that 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 do the the tech and they do or whatever, you know, Erta and FIM, whatever that whole situation is. 
there's there's a distinction between the rule book and the sanctioning body Dorna who owns it because ultimately it's a show, right? It's it's supposed to be a show. Why do you want to take the joy of one of the largest audiences in the world for one country, the United States, which, you know, it, I don't know if we are or we aren't. We're a big country, but MotoGP is kind of small, but we do have a, a large audience and people they're rooting for Joe Roberts. Why would you want to take him out because of what? There's not a rider in the paddock that said that Joe Roberts gained an advantage. He was completely straight up and down. It wasn't like he was leaned over and would have crashed in the grass. All the quotes that I've read, including from uh, Jack Miller and uh, who else was it? Well, a lot of the writers now are just coming out and saying, this is stupid. I- yeah, well, that, that that particular corner specifically was was absolutely stupid because he was straight up and down. If it was, if it was grass, yep. nothing would have happened. Just nothing like happened in happen. Moto3, they just run over the grass and 100%. you get a little bit of a wheel spin. You get a little bit of a bounce. You get a little, whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, yep. dude, You're give me a break. Right. But this give started in... Uh, this started in Moto2 race, like, was it last year? Probably the first Moto2 race last year in Austria, and I can't remember who it was. I believe it was Jorge Martin. Barely, barely ran onto the green. Barely, and they docked him. And I'm like, are you guys kidding? Like, what? what is actually going on right now? Like, what are we doing? This is Well, here's my concern, Jason, okay? I hate figure skating more than anything in the world. Can't stand figure skating. Stop I, it. I, I feel for people when they, when, they, when they crash, like, big time. But one of the... I do... Dude, it's the craziest thing. I watch figures. I cannot watch figure skating because I just hate watching people like fall themselves on ice. Right. But here's the thing. Okay. With any subjective sport, when (laughs) when someone, Greg White doesn't like figure skating. Can't stand figure skating. (laughs) When someone's done with their routine in figure skating, everybody sits around and waits. What are the the judges judges. going to do? What are the judges? Because it's subjective, right? The one thing about racing that I love so much and the one thing or loved so much. And the one thing I like about archery, you know, because there's a score or whatever, is that the checkered flag is supposed to decide races. Correct. We are at the point now, 100% especially right. at Mugello, yeah. we were in two winner circles, two of three winner circles, right? For the majors, obviously. Yeah. And the race hadn't been decided. But people you know don't know I mean? what's going on. Yeah. Bedzeki's like, what happened? Joe Roberts is on his way. What happened? Sorry, dude, you got docked. You touched the. Rins and Oliveira are looking at each other like, I mean, Rins, Mir and Oliveira are sitting there going, where, should, where are we? Who? What's one? He's second. I'm third. Wait, I'm third. He's second. What? What? Yeah. What happened? Right? I Let's mean, say, it's just so and, and then, and then, but, but this is the problem though, okay, is that we weren't, sh- as, as far as I saw, I didn't see any evidence that showed me where, uh, God, I don't even know who finished second. So I didn't see any evidence of Mir running off the track. So what we do is we get those results in MotoGP and it's like, oh, sorry, you've been relegated back to, you know, second play or to third place or whatever it was with uh, Oliveira. Yeah. And then they were like, well, Oliveira ran off. They showed us video evidence of that. But then and, I, we, we never And they're like, well, Mir was right behind him. So we're going to like, he did the same thing. So that's, that's. Oh, is that what they said? Well, yeah. So yeah, that, yeah. That, so now that becomes suspect in my opinion, yeah. Jay. I agree because, because you you're can't like, fully wait a second. It's yeah, just so stupid. There's different rules for the MotoGP class, and so it brings up. But some like even Joe, marks. even Joe comes out and basically says, "Ah, oh, you know, it's okay, no big deal. We had a great weekend. It is a big deal because that podium means so much to your team. That podium means so much to your guys. And yeah, I know the guys. They're all going to be like, "Hey, we realized we were on the podium, but that that moment is what you kind of live for for those race weekends to be on the podium. It's a you know, Joe rode amazing. Additionally, Jason, I would throw in that that podium." Is important for the legacy of Joe Roberts. It is. You know? It's 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 important it's, for it's, so many we, things. That's, we always talk about racers: how many wins, how many championships, how many podiums. Yep. Like Correct. you know, and and it, it sounds dumb now, but you know, 
you know, podiums are far and few between for a lot of racers. And the fact that I think that Joe got robbed on that one because common sense did not land on anybody's freaking brain is pretty astonishing. Can you imagine? I want you to just think about this for a second. Can you imagine if this stuff was going on in the Kenny Roberts era, the Kevin Schwantz, Wayne Rainey era, the Mick Dewan era? Oh my God, come on. Can you imagine? These guys would have lit up, just lit up Dorna or whoever's whoever's making these decisions. They would have lit them up. And now all these kids, it's almost like they've been muzzled. Like they can't say a bad thing. And, and we don't want to be ripping race organizations. And I understand that. But there comes a point where the decisions are being made in a building and not what's on the racetrack. The, the, the analogy that you used just now with the figure skating G-Dub is, is exactly right. I see it in UFC too, where there's a, there's a you know, three round fight and there's a guy who's dominated all three rounds and one judge will score at 30 to 27 oh. for the other guy. And I'm like, boxing. what, Come what? On, no That's boxing like... UFC. I sit there and I go yeah, like, yeah. Huh? What? It's yeah. it, and it goes right back to your figure skating thing. You know the old the old saying about the Russian judge or whatever they always say about it. It's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, you go like, what's going on? Well, let's get on with this. G Dub Moto three, Moto three, a crazy race. Um, you know, I watched that Moto three race. I, Greg, it was like the perfect Sunday morning for me. Saturday and Sunday, I just got up and I watched. I got up early and I just streamed everything right to my TV and I watched everything. But Moto three, Dennis Faggio, Jami Masia. Rodrigo are your top three. Sasaki, who was obviously very sore from the day before, and I'm sure was pretty devastated when that race was over, finding out the news of Jason DePesque. Uh. And then Darren Binder ends up fifth. Fanati, sixth. McPhee, Acosta, points, championship points leader. Sergio Garcia. All these guys at one point or another led this race. Like, every one of them. It was fun. I watched this race with my mom, and and she loves... She loves the Leopard bikes because she can see them. So she always roots for like Baggio. And she oh, the colors and everything? Yeah. Yeah, she loves it. So at one point, he was back at 11th, I think, with three to go. And I'm like, don't worry, Mom. He's gonna, he'll be back up in the front <laughs> at some point here. And he ends up winning. Suzuki ends up 10th. Salik, Toba, Antonelli, Nepa, and Jeremy Alcoba round out your finishers. The top 13 guys were 1.4 seconds away from each other. Um, you know, Greg, again, this Moto3 championship, you got it. You got to respect what Acosta did to start the year because now we've got a couple of races now where the draft has been such a major, major role, and there's a lot of luck that can get involved with these heavy drafting races. Just very much like uh, like Doha and stuff, where Acosta came out on top, um, but he ends up getting shuffled back to eighth, and it just doesn't. It really doesn't matter. He's done the damage already in the championship so far this year. Right now, as he rolls into the next uh into the next race greg i mean this is incredible he's got a 52 point lead i believe it is mm-hmm. over 52, the next 54, is it 52, 52. 41 yeah 41 so 52 yeah he's got a 52 point lead which <laughs> 52 point lead after this many races just goes to show like this kid's incredible but let's just get back to the race real quick I, there's not really a lot to say about this race other than Every lap, there was eight, nine guys coming across the stripe that could be leading into turn one. Every lap, it looks like going into turn one, it's let's find our spots. I wonder how many times guys touch each other in these races, you know, as far as like running into each other. A lot more than we see, definitely. Yeah, a lot more. But the Honda looked like it had a little bit of the legs. Faggio did a great job of finding his way back up to the front uh, with Masi and Rodrigo there right behind. Yeah, it was a good race. Not much else to say about it. Kind of I mean, wanna... it's just, it's so fun watching that. that it stuff. is. It's but fun yes. to watch. I mean, I'm sure yeah. that a lot of those racers had 
you know, Jason DePasque on their mind because at that point, you know, everybody was kind of pulling for him and you could see posts right up until, yeah, they didn't know. Yeah. But I think I think it might be a little mentally a little bit more difficult race for for this class, you know, coming up this week. But Correct. I still don't expect to see anything different. You know, I I mean, it's it's just got to be another. It should be. I mean, there are parts of Catalonia that are going to be a little bit more technical in a way that might separate the field a little bit. But with that big long front straightaway they have, I just think it's going to be the same kind oh, of yeah. thing that we've seen. A thirteen riders going it's to the be, checkered flag like nuts, full hectic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Full hectic. fully. Full. Well, we're pretty deep into this podcast. You want to move on to something else? Let's do it. Let's talk about some World Superbike because, and right. I think that you can generalize a little bit because the the racing was incredible. The World Supersport racing was incredible, but we got our buddy on today, don't we? Yeah, we do. We have Steve English on. So I'll just go through the results real quick for the, for the three races, and we'll just kind of do the top 10. So uh, in race number one, Scott Redding wins over Ascot Lioglu, Johnny Ray in third, Garrett Gerloff in fourth, Ruben Rinaldi in fifth, Chaz Davis, Vandemark, Bautista, Rabat. Good good job by Tito Rabat. And then yep. uh, Locatelli in 10th spot. Then we move on to Sunday and we have the Super Pole race, which is that shortened 10-lap race. Johnny Ray ends up winning by six-tenths of a second over Rascal Lioglu. Scott Redding in third, Gerloff in fourth, Rinaldi, Lowe's in sixth, Sykes, Laverty, Davis, all the way back in ninth, and Bautista. Don't forget, this sets the grid, right, for, for yes. you know race number two on Sunday. Which eventually ends up Johnny Ray wins, Chaz Davis in second, Rascott Liago third, Lowe's, Locatelli, Vandemark, Batista, Sykes, Laverty, and Rabat. In the gravel trap was Garrett Gerloff with Ruben Rinaldi. We're going to talk about that in a moment as well. And the way the championship stacks up, Johnny Ray, after two rounds and six races, has a 35 point lead over Rascott Liaglu and Redding three points behind in third. And he's just done it again, hasn't he? I mean, when he's you think about what Ray does, done it again. He's just done it again. What he does is he puts so much pressure on guys. They make mistakes early, and all of a sudden, he's got a 35-point lead, just like that. And the problem that you have with that is there's no let-up because Johnny Ray doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't. He is not going to go throw a bunch of points away. He's going to finish these races. He's going to accept his third, his fourth, his second, whatever he's got to accept. He's going to do everything he can to win, but he doesn't make mistakes. So... It's either you get rough with him and you you run the risk of taking yourself out as well as him. Um, and, and so it, it really now becomes a point where we've seen all the top guys kind of make mistakes. And and now they're a bunch of points behind. And when you're up, when you're back down there and you're looking up at Johnny Ray leading, you just go, well, how are we, what are we going to do? How are we going to beat this guy? Because even if you beat him, there's not going to be a lot of people between you and him. Well, Jay, you said a word in the and everything you just said, you said one word that's kind of key, and that is the word risk. And really at this point, in order to beat Johnny Ray, everybody else is going to have to take risks. And I feel that Johnny Ray doesn't have to take the risk. He's got 35 points in the bag. They can be conservative. But so on that note, let's bring in our friend Steve English, you know, one of the commentators for World Superbike into the program, because Steve and I were chatting about this first round that they raced. And we were talking about the risk that Scott Redding had taken in race two with the slick tires that ended up paying off. So we picked it up from talking about Redding and his risks and the ones that he took for this round. And then you move on to Estoril and Redding would have expected this to be a real Ducati friendly track. He would have thought, you know what, I'm going to be able to come away with a win. I'm going to be able to come away with podiums. I'm going to be able to really claw back some points on Johnny in this race. And Fair enough to him, he did, because in race one, he took a gamble on a tire. He went with the X tire, the softest tire out there. 
And it's a tire that he's never really been happy with. He's never said that, you know, for a heavier rider, you can really use that tire. He always talks in terms of the lighter riders have a big advantage with this tire. As it was in that race, he was able to use it, win the race, and he was really competitive all the way through. He didn't put a foot wrong. He was absolutely perfect. Top rack was putting him under a lot of pressure. And he was faultless. It was probably, for me, the best race I've ever seen from Scott Redding. Really impressive all the way through. Consistent pace, managed the tire well, managed to control the race. Because Estoril suddenly became a weekend all about track position. It was like you were watching a Formula 1 race at times because you couldn't make overtaking moves. It didn't matter if it was in the super sport class or the super bike class. The only moves we really saw were aggressive moves forcing an opportunity to get through. And uh, that's why it became all about who could control the pace at the front. What was interesting was Johnny and Kawasaki decided that they couldn't use the X tire. You know, they were under a lot of pressure from everyone to say, well, the temperatures are rising. Everyone else is using the X. Why aren't you using the X tire? And the reason for that was they didn't have to. They can play it a little bit conservatively because Jonathan Ray, you know, I said it on commentary, Jonathan Ray is your margin for error. If you're a little bit out of line at any given time, he can make up for it. And uh, he did that over the course of the weekend. This was a track where Kawasaki really struggled last year. And they come away with third place in race one and then two wins on Sunday. And they come away with that because Ray finds a way to make it work. And uh, that's why he's now got a, a healthy championship lead. He's 35 points clear from top rack at this stage. Well, you know, when you hear him talking about Formula One and you hear him talking about track position, you know, the, the whole yellow flag bullshit raised its head again in qualifying. I mean, Tito Rabat runs straight in turn one, runs straight, runs through the gravel. Gets doesn't to the crash. Es- doesn't crash, gets to the escape road. He's paddling through the gravel, uh, gets through onto the escape road on the outside of the gravel trap and is going to go find his way back in. Well, just at that time, and that happens in turn one, at that time, Alex Lowe's and Chaz Davis are on their laps and they've put their qualifying tires in. Now, what... World Superbike is, and and as far as differences go, is World Superbike has qualifying tires. These are specific tires that Pirelli makes for these guys to go out and try to do one lap. And so these guys have thrown their tires in. And and next thing you know, their laps get canceled. And you say to yourself, well, okay, their laps got canceled. How did it affect them? Well, Alex Lowe's goes from being third on the grid to 10th on the grid for race one. And when you got such a uh, crazy first turn like you have there at Estoril that's so slow where people can get bunched up and mistakes are going to be made. Okay. It's the same for everybody, but he legitimately ended up third on the grid and gets shoved back to 10th. That affected his entire weekend. From that point on, he gets off the line, makes a little mistake in turn one, trying to make up the time that he wouldn't have had to otherwise make up. And people are going to be like, Oh, you know, you're just, you're, you're crying for Alex. No, I'm not crying for Alex. It could have been any of the guys, but he ends up getting penalized for it. Chaz Davis, the same. He ends up 15th. And I was happy to see Chaz come out and say something about it. Like something's got to change. Something's got to be a, be the difference here. Because the person who makes, the person who runs off the track doesn't get penalized at all. They just penalize everybody behind them who, who gets a yellow flag. To me, again, this is where it's just insane to me. Because that affected the whole weekend of what those two riders had to deal with. And so then you become a deal where they get, they get regridded. Now Alex crashed and I believe race one Chaz, uh, you know, both of them had to start outside the rate uh, outside of row two for the super pole race. Then once they get their position in super pole race, 
it becomes more of like, well, I got to stay here and not too too many big risks because for the next race Sunday afternoon, this is going to determine my grid spot. And really when you look at it, it's like, can we just use our brains for just a second? And if there's an incident that's big enough where you're going to discontinue somebody's lap and really screw their weekend up, then red flag the session. <laughs> because yeah. When do you treat people like adults? We've said it, it before. it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. But the other thing that comes just migrating out of what, what Steve just said is that 35 point lead now for Johnny. And you know, when you watch the telecasts and, and you hear Steve, first off, I love everything he says because it's so relevant of all the stuff that he talks about and the things that he says. So you learn a lot about it, but the relevancy of what Johnny Ray does as far as chipping away, he came into this race weekend. This is Kawasaki's worst track last year. They struggled. Even when the championship was done and dusted here after race one last year, he struggled in race two. Top Rack dominated here last year. Top Rack really was fast again this weekend, um, but he got a double lap, uh, long lap penalty in race two because of a jump start. Uh, and 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 Redding, to me, in race two, jumped the start as well. And All we right, well, out, well, yeah. And, let, yeah, and I, and, and I know we're going to get into that, but it's like... Well, we're going to get into it now, yeah, because yeah, it didn't get called. To, it didn't even get called till after the race. That's a whole nother story. We'll talk Insane. about that in a second. Because yeah. when I'm talking to Steve, I was like literally led into him, Jay, with like, let's talk about the drama of the weekend. Well, we'll start with the jump start in race two because, like, it was clear as day from Top Rack, he jumps the start and needs to get a penalty. What was interesting and a bit disappointing, really, was that Scott Redding didn't get a penalty at the time because he clearly jumps the start, and then, like, for for me as a commentator where we obviously have the timing feed and we're given all the updates through the race that race direction send out to teams. So we see immediately top rack gets a long lap penalty and then we get no extra information about Reading. So you immediately then start to say, well, Reading mustn't get a penalty for his, you know, Reading's was a lot closer than top racks, but it turns out that Scott did jump the start and after the race, he was given a time penalty. And it's one of those instances where you're looking at it and you're thinking, you know what, you've had 21 laps to decide that Scott's jumped the start. You know, he should have gotten his penalty very early doors in that race. It was clear that Toprak jumps the start, so fair enough, Toprak's going to get his straight away. Scott should have gotten his long lap penalties as well, and it would have changed the race for him. He would have been able to probably be beaten by Johnny. He wouldn't have been involved in that scrap at the end of the race, but he would have been able to come away with decent points from this race. And instead, Redding's got a non-score on the card, and he's, you know, he's given up huge points to Jonathan over the course of the weekend. And I think it's a little bit unfair on Scott that he didn't get that penalty in time. And it also robbed us of, you know, a closer championship fight, which is always a, a big thing for us as well. All right. So G Dub, you and I always <laughs> yeah. talk about this. We don't talk about what Scott or what was talked about prior to these podcasts. So I'm going to tackle this one because I love Steve and Steve kind of played both sides of the fence here. You and I always talk about, we don't want to be the ones calling what race direction does, right? Like yeah. when we're doing our commentating gig, if we see something, I'm not going to like put race direction on, on blast and say that this was wrong or that guy should have been penalized. At the end of the day, Scott Redding should have been penalized right off the bat. And I'm watching this race and I'm like, okay, they've given it to top rack to start with. Cause they're going to put his number on a board and going to get him to come in and his team are going to put the, put his number on a board and get him to come in. The second that Top Rack sees that and and starts doing his long lap penalty, they should Redding's thing should have been up next. It's not even a question. Now, long time in this series, long, over the twenty plus years, five years, whatever, Ducati has always 
it's always been kind of silently murmured that Ducati gets special treatment and, you know, it's Italian this, Italian that. It, it, and it goes right back to it. Like, here's Scott Redding leading the race. Scott Redding obviously jumped the start. Why? What is going on right now? Why are we not pulling him in? And I like where Steve went with it. He took the high road and basically saying that he feels bad for Scott because Scott wouldn't have been in that position running with Johnny and he might not have crashed and this and that. But at the end of the day, myself, I'm sitting there saying that regardless, I, I feel bad for Scott regardless that he fell, all that. We know how hard he's working. Um, but it's no not saying that he wouldn't have fell off anyways. Uh, the rules are rules. We watched two guys jump the start and it was right in front of our eyes, Greg. Smack in front of our eyes. And yet nothing got done about it. It's All just, right. So it's let, let, let me address a couple things that you just talked about. Number one, when it was FG Sport and before it was FG Sport, it was owned by the Italians. It's now owned by the Spanish. There is a separation. The 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 AMA FIM runs our rule book and they have a say so in penalties and things like that in race direction for Moto America. Moto America doesn't make that decision. There is a separation between again, promoter, owner, and rule book. So that that part of it's not happening. The question really becomes, I mean, it was close, Jay, but it wasn't that close. I mean, I literally went on YouTube or <laughs> on their so video. Easy. I went on their video feed and I I could click pause and he was already out of the box and the, and the, and the light was red. Like it, it didn't need, you didn't need like a frames per second or anything like that to, to figure it out. Real the other, quick, the other real part quick, of it real though. Quick, yeah. Real quick, Greg, on what you just said there, because I agree with you 100%. That start of that race, who got the better start? Yeah, Scott Redding did. <laughs> Top Scott Rack Redding actually did. stopped and got hosed. Right. Top Rack actually went backwards. And Scott Redding did. So here's the other thing, though, Jay. The only person that didn't know, I mean, there are other people are focused. I understand that. But the only people that shouldn't have known that Scott Redding jumped was Top Rack because he was already gone. And then who was on pole? Johnny was on pole. But the rest of the – so this is my problem. Like – Top rack jumps. I totally get why Redding did because he, as he jumps, Redding's reacting to the his peripheral vision. No question, right? He doesn't want to be left out there, so he jumps to start. People right behind Scott Redding were probably sitting there going, "All right, when's Redding pulling in?" Right? Like, like when when's he getting out of the way? Like it's it's a weird situation, and it's just kind of you know piled on with with what happened in MotoGP on the weekend, but. You know, to, to, to give the penalty, a six-second penalty, not a 60 minutes or 90 minutes after the race is over. I was like, like, what are you doing? It is you literally insane. change the results. And, and and here's the thing. You take him from 14th place because he picks the bike up after crashing and he finishes 14th. And now you demote him to 16th place. <laughs> so he's got two points and zero points. I'm not saying that this way Scott's been riding right now, this championship is going to be that close. But I, I know for a fact that there's got to be championship bonuses that are written in their contract for the championship, for second place, for third place. This guy could lose a heap of money based off of a two, you know losing two points at the end of the year. You and know? besides all that, besides all that, you let a guy crash. or no, I'm sorry. You didn't let a guy crash. You let a guy pick his bike up and keep going and race as hard as he could to try to get those points only to penalize him afterwards. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of risk to How take. How stupid he- is this? Like... And and you and yet and yet and yet you're going to penalize guys for a yellow flag incident in qualifying that had no there was there was no corner workers running out into the gravel to help or bat as far as like there was no big safety concerns and like the consistency is horrendous and race control is just too involved. They're just All too right, involved. so 
Anyways. Let's let's talk about more drama because that let's wasn't the only drama, by the way. There no. was more when Garrett Gerloff crashed into the yep. back of Michael Rubin Rinaldi. And here's, you know, Steve's take on that. Well, for Garrett, the unfortunate reality of it is it's three rounds out of the last four that he's been involved in a contentious incident. I think in this case, I don't see how you could look at it and not apportion the blame for this crash on Garrett Gerloff. You'd have to have incredible Star Spangled Banner shaped glasses to not look at it that way. And <laughs> it's unfortunate for Garrett because he's got the speed. You know, he doesn't have to ride on the limit and be super aggressive. All of the incidents that Garrett's had, and this is very similar for a lot of riders, all of the incidents that he's had can be excused in isolation. But whenever they're put together, it creates a pattern and race control has to take action against that. At the end of the day, in Aragon, he was lucky that Johnny managed to stay up on the bike. He makes a clear mistake, difficult conditions, early in the race, you know, downhill entry into the corner. He gets a little bit out of shape and uh, clashes into the side of Johnny. Johnny's able to ride through a gravel trap and survive and able to still uh, finish on the podium in that race. For Garrett, he crashes in that race, gets a long lap penalty. It's not the end of the world. In this race, though, in Estoril, he takes out Michael Rubin Rinaldi, and Rinaldi's had a pretty tough season up to this point, but he's in a podium position whenever he's clattered out of the race by Gerloff, and that then means that race direction have to look at it and say, there's a clear pattern here for Garrett, and we need to make sure that we stamp out this kind of this kind of riding. You're in a world championship. There, there is a very high standard of riding quality. Garrett's at the standard for riding talent, but I think this incident and a few others are where you know you need to you need to you need to have accountability for your actions out in the racetrack and it's unfortunate for Garrett because I think for him he looks at it that there's there's always a reason for every crash and that's the case for every rider they know what they're doing on the bike but this is one instant where I think it's pretty clear where the blame should go and race direction has sent Garrett to start the next race from the pit lane so they were very clear in their decision as well the other topic that we talked about that I didn't put up there was the fact that Garrett seems to be developing a reputation at this point, you know? So what do you think about the incident? What do you think about the reputation? And what do you think about the penalty that Garrett's got to serve now? Steve's being nice. I mean, like he says, you got to have your <laughs> star spangled banner at glasses on to, to say anything other. I mean, listen. And by the way, that's from a guy who lived in the States for many years. Like Steve knows us. He, he, he lived here in the U S I know Steve well enough where, his comments, the last two comments are, he's absolutely 1000% spot on. Uh, Garrett has shown that there's a pattern right now where all the writers will be talking about Garrett being out of control and being uh, non caring about other people's safety. Um, Garrett puts off this persona of being a really, really nice guy and hands together and sorry and sorry. That only goes so far, Greg. And this isn't a Garrett Gerloff bash. Obviously there just comes a point where Garrett's got to go. Okay. Just chill out. I've got this right. He's got this right. He, he went over there with something to prove. And I think he's proven himself already. I don't think anybody's going to question the talent. I don't think anybody's going to question the speed or where he belongs and where he is absolutely going to end up and where he's going. Um, he's shown himself to have all the intangibles that are needed there to be successful, whether it be in World Superbike or even when he got called up to MotoGP last year for there at, at Valencia when he when he got to do that Friday. So 
when you look at things, Garrett is there. He's already proven himself. Now, to make these continuous mistakes where, I'll tell you, had Johnny Ray crashed in that race at Aragon, there would have been a lot more said. As things turned out, Ray's on the podium. He ended up probably where he would have ended up, you know, finishing second. Uh, and so it was kind of like, yeah, okay, he's sorry again. This one here, though, this was horrendous. This is such a bad one where he where he cleans out Rinaldi. And it's, I saw, I saw his interview after the race and I, you know, same amount of brake pressure, same amount of roll off point was just getting settled in, was just cruising. It's a judgment issue. It's, it's like where he passed Johnny at Aragon, the lap prior, he passed Alex Lowe's going down the back straightaway just two turns later. I thought he was going to do the same thing to put himself in the position he put himself in at Aragon was really bad to put himself in the position that he put himself in here was really bad. Race direction's got to do something. In this case, race direction's got it right. There's a guy that's shown that he's consistently kind of ran into a few people and they got to make him pay for it and make him realize that saying sorry isn't enough. My biggest thing with Garrett at this point is, is what I don't want him to do is to build this reputation and give people more leverage to complain about him. So we've seen it before where you have riders that do have the reputation where they're a rough rider. I mean, we see it right now, you know, Loris Baz is starting to develop a little bit of a reputation in our paddock in Moto America because he bounces off Cam Peterson and activates his airbags a couple times, bounces off Cam Peterson the next day and punches a hole in his leathers, right? So you, you, it's like two is okay if he reels it in, but three or four incidences, now you have a reputation. So my thing is, is that if Garrett gets in a race with somebody now, or even already, and there's a little bit of bumping and grinding, nothing that's too bad, that people now have leverage to go to race control and say, well, Garrett did this and Garrett did that. And now they're going to be like, well, we're aware of it. And he's got that reputation. Where, they're going to pay attention many, to it, aren't they, Greg? Right. Yeah. Because how many times have we had a rider who's been clean, Jason, who cleans somebody out and yeah. everybody excuses it away? Well, that, that rider, I mean, they're just, they ride clean all the time. I mean, that's just a weird one-off incident. And it is. You know, yeah, and yeah, so yeah, with Garrett, yeah, that's the right. thing I worry about more than anything else. I know that he's just like you're saying, he's a good dude. He's got the talent. He's got all yeah, those things going for him. There's no question about it. So yeah. it's almost like you want to say from an outsider's perspective, roll out of it just a little bit because well, in, in the soundbite, yeah, <laughs> you know, be smart. And look, by the way, this whole interview I did with Steve English is 20 minutes is available for those of you that are on our Patreon, uh, which is in the link in the description below. Or you, if you're on Patreon, you can go slash Greg's Garage TV. If you uh, donate to the podcast, you're going to get access to that interview. But in that, Jason, also what he talks about is is the fact that, you know, uh, that, you know, Garrett's on the satellite bike, right? He's on the satellite bike. No matter what he does, it looks like he's going to be faster than Locatelli. So it's not like he's got that pressure. It's like, just take a deep breath, slow it down a little bit, you know, do those just, kinds of things. Yeah. And it's, it's and, and understand, I'm just being realistic. It wouldn't have mattered if it, whoever it was, if it was, if it was Johnny or if it was Alex Lowe's or Redding, you know, you, you, the, the, no, the you just don't day, want and, that and, reputation. And, and you know, what the you don't want to hurt anybody. Is, the worst part is as a competitor is when a guy acts as nice as he could possibly be, but then does stupid shit on the racetrack. Cause you just go, well, I don't really, you start to almost just question well, yeah, really it's actions are. versus words, right? Yeah, like, yeah, know. exactly. And and we know Garrett's such a good dude. Yeah, a lot of in this day and age, a lot of people get judged off their words with social media. I'm always a person who just looks at somebody else and says, "Okay, those are just words coming out of their mouth or out of their fingertips. What are their real actions? What are they Correct. doing as a human being?" And yeah. that's the way I look at 
people, but I mean, you know, just the way I do, it's not always the right way, but all right, Jay, let's wrap this up with Steve because I wanted to know like his view on, you know, what's coming up next for, for world Superbike, And, uh, you know, I was like, Steve, where are we going? Well, we're off to Misano next in a couple of weeks' time, and uh, that's always a good round. The Ducati track have always gone well there. They test there an awful lot, but it's also a track where Ray's had good results. The Yamaha goes well. The Honda is always an interesting bike because there's a lot of potential there, but they are struggling to get that potential out. But for someone like Bautista, he's always able to manage, and manage his tire very well during a race, so he can always have some good results. BMW made a big step forward in Estoril as well, so it is starting to get a bit closer. But if you're putting your money down, it's probably still Ray, Razgaryoglu, Redding and Lowe's. And then you wait and see what the likes of Davis and Gerloff can do on the independent bikes because both of them should be strong as well. Chaz has always gone well at, at Mizano. He's done an awful lot of miles there as a factory Ducati rider. And then for Gerloff, obviously starting from the pit lane in race one, we can write that race off in terms of being able to battle it out at the front. But the big thing for him is the Super Pole race and then race two, see if he's able to get good results in them. I think if I'm an American fan, I'm looking at it and thinking, you know what, in Gerloff, we've got a rider that's, that's got real potential to upset the apple cart this year, get some podiums, get some race wins, and really put America back on the map in World SBK. And that's what you want to see. And we're seeing that as well in the Moto2 class with Joe Roberts and Cameron Bobier both getting really good results. So right now, there's there's a lot of calls for optimism, whether it's just in the Superbike class or as well as that, just for American riders coming through as well. That's good for, definitely good for yous. <laughs> for yous. And how you're going to watch that, by the way, is worldsbk.com. Just just pay for it. It's you know? so good. It's so it's, good to watch yeah, it. Yeah, it's really good. And Steve is like, and it's not because he's, it's not because he's my guy. He's just, he is such a good commentator. I love listening to what he has to say. He's got a lot of great insight. And um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 good stuff. And, and he's 100% right. I think Garrett, Garrett has all of the ability to be a future champion of this class. There's not a question in my mind on that. And, you know, but like he says, the first race is going to be written off. It's going to be a great track for Garrett too. Mizano, he likes it there. I think I've seen the interviews with him where he said he likes the place. I think it'll be a great place for him. And, um, you know, after Saturday qualifying in the morning, he'll go to the back of the, or start from pit lane on Saturday afternoon's race. But come Sunday, he has a real shot. I think wherever he ends up qualifying, he gets to take that position and then obviously can better himself again for race two Sunday afternoon. So um, let's see how that all ends up, Greg. Let's also move forward in this. Um, American Flat Track Series was going this past weekend. Um, uh, they were in Chicago. Were they in Chicago? Chicago, I Yeah, Joliet. Yeah, yep, so Joliet, Joliet Illinois, so, just outside um, of Chicago. Brian and- Bauman ends up winning over Vanderkulf uh, and then Mies, Robinson, uh, Bronson, Bauman, Price, Fisher. Uh, JD ends up eight. I didn't get to watch any of this, Greg. So uh, I'm, I don't I'm not think sure they posted it anywhere because okay. I didn't get to watch it live either. And yeah. usually they post it after the, the show makes NBC. There was but, so much other racing going on on the weekend. Pearson, yeah, there was so much other racing. Yeah. So so at the bottom line is, is that JD Beach <clears> slips <throat> from the lead in the championship. Yes. Briar Bauman now takes over the lead. He's got 11 points. Mies, who's our you know champion from a couple of years ago, multi-time yep. champ, he's in third. Jared Vanderkoy is in fourth in this one. I think the biggest deal from this race, particular Jason, was the fact that uh, it was <clears throat> it's not the grippiest of racetracks. It was very dry. It was hard packed. Yep. And so Mies, you know, was struggling with some rear grip issues. Obviously, the Yamaha 
anywhere the Yamaha goes where there's a lack of grip, they're going to be off the back. They're, they're still working on it, but they haven't quite figured it out yet. But nonetheless, um, you know, the racing was, it was okay. 1.1 seconds, the difference between Bauman and Vanderkoy. Yep. Bronson Bauman led early. Yeah, he actually, you know, led the race for the first eight laps. And then Briar Bauman came in and just dominated. So your reigning number one plate Bauman gets back on top of the box. Total sweep for the top seven places by Indian. So you only have, you know, one Yamaha and one Harley Davidson. I mean, only 13 riders in the field, Jay, but nonetheless, it's a, you know, big championship. So, um, a lot of congratulations stuff there with that. Yep. When's the yeah, next race? Yeah. Do you even know the next race? I don't know the next races. I haven't even looked at, it. I think it's in a couple of weeks, you know? So, um, and I didn't look at, I didn't look at any of the classes. Did you? I, I didn't, I didn't, Greg. I, didn't I know Corey, I know Corey Texter. And... Yeah. Corey Texter won the twins class, I believe in that one. And then you go to the, the singles. And it was uh, Max Whale who actually won oh, that wow. one. KTM factory rider. I just, there was so much other racing. I didn't get to see it. And I know that you're going to do the results right now in pro moto because we had the first round out here at Pallet in Cali. And I watched that race. I don't know what it is, but the California tracks just seem to suck in outdoors. Like, <laughs> Dude, I think, I honestly just think it's the dirt. On, yeah, you know what I mean? Like it, it really, it really is the dirt. This is where so, we need Wygant to come in and talk to us about it. But yeah, hundred yes. percent. We're not going to go over the results from each race because they do do two motos in the same day. And then basically you combine those two motos. And if there's a tie in points, the person who had the better moto to finish is the one who's credited with the higher position. So correct. In in, in particular, in the 450 class, hats off to Dylan Ferrandis in his rookie debut on a 450 on the Yamaha. He goes win second, so he's he gets the overall with 45 points. Kenny Roxon uh, gets 15 points, and then he ends up uh, winning the second moto. There were a couple riders that were really impressive uh, in the first moto. Chase Sexton, uh, Justin Barsha was right up in the mix as well. So. There's a lot of good things to look at in this, but Dylan Ferrandis, wow. I mean, really, really, really yeah, it's 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 pretty impressive um what what he's got going on. So he wins and he goes second because they had they had their second one there already. So Ferrandis wins, he goes second. So and then they they go to Thunder Valley next, then high point. So Roxon with the overall win. In the on the other side of the coin, on the 250 class, where they've run both at Fox Raceway. Jet Lawrence ends up going second overall in in the first one at Pala and then wins the second one. J-Mart goes win second place. So that's that's where we sit uh, in the point standings. They have 13 rounds in the championship. They go to Thunder Valley next. So we'll keep an you eye know, on that. Do you know who impressed me on the 450s, though? Who? Plessinger. Oh, yeah. Aaron was great. Killed it. He did such a good job. Like he just Plessinger. Did, uh, Plessinger. Plessinger. Yeah, I know. I, but I, I, it's great. You know, there's a guy that it seems like Yamaha stayed behind pretty solid. I mean, the last couple of years he struggled and he's kind of finding his way now and pretty solid. Pretty. I mean, pretty you look good. at Aaron though. You look at Aaron Plessinger's size and yeah. the way he, the lineage where he comes from. Yep. And you just have to say like outdoors should be his thing anyway. Should like be. that should be. And and he definitely is more of a 450, you know, framed rider. So I think uh, I we expect good things from him and we'll especially those off weeks. We'll get more in detail and. Hopefully we'll get Jason Wygant on here. Dude, we got to get Wygant on here just talking moto. It'd be fun to just ask him, just mm-hmm. drill him with some questions and talk to him about things. And Yeah. They're racing be- They're racing this weekend, I believe. And then next weekend, he's with us. They have a weekend off before High Point. So he's with us at, at um, Moto America, at Road America. 
So anyway, that's going to be the podcast. Look ahead to this weekend in our race calendar and what we'll be talking about in the show. MotoGP, obviously, from Catalonia. That's going to be a hot topic. We'll be talking about Moto America's round three at Road America. We'll preview that next week for you. And we're going to talk about ProMoto from Colorado. Uh, Also going on this weekend, if you're out and about, GNCC is in Mount Morris, Pennsylvania. Always a good watch or go race it. And AMA Pro Hill Climb is in Sprint Grove, Pennsylvania. I am telling you people. Get to one. Get, I'm, I'm telling you, if I wasn't going to, uh, where am I going? I'm going to London, Kentucky for an archery tournament this weekend to commentate. If I wasn't doing that, I'd be on the motorcycle right now, heading up to Spring Grove, Pennsylvania to watch some hill climb. I love it. Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, uh, and it, it's so funny because the podcast is, is, is so is a lot of fun for Greg and I. Well, it's a lot of fun for me. It's a lot of work for G Dub. This guy busts, you know what's getting this done. And it's gonna be get harder now because Greg's I can you do the podcast from your motorcycle? That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing this on camera, Jason, but people can't see it. But yeah, I can't do it from the motorcycle saddle. Well, actually I probably <laughs> could. I could if I could you teach could you how to use out. a computer, I definitely could do it from the motorcycle saddle if I had, but uh I'll be doing it from hotel rooms, but you you know I, people at I'm home take my stuff with me and I'll I'm, yeah we're I, gonna I mean we're gonna yeah. do it because you know so what it's Wednesday today we're gonna post today and next Tuesday I'm on the road for 21 days um, I'll be right guess where I'll be doing this time this time oh no next week I will be I will be riding at Road America Monday Tuesday of next week sport bike track time gonna be riding with all those guys up there it's gonna be a blast and. I got Kolb and Moshe and Simon. All the boys are going to be there. Kolb. Dougie. Dougie is going to be there, as you can Lacanti. I'll be on the road, man. I'll be doing some unbelievable roads through West Virginia and southeastern Ohio. And then after that, I was going to just slog it. Like from Cincinnati to, to Road America, straight line is so boring. You go to Indianapolis, boring. Through Chicago, boring, and then up there. So I'm actually going to peel out west and go to Galea, Illinois, by the river, and I'm going to work my way back up through there. So I'm actually going to take three days to get to Road America. It's going to be fantastic. Lampkin's not going to be stoked that you just called Indy boring. Indy as a city is great, actually. Yeah, it is. It but actually is a really in terms cool of city. like r- roads right, to yeah. ride, road riding is probably not going to be the best. It's I, not. Yeah, it's Chicago. Just let's just face it: the roads in and around Chicago suck. Well, I lived there for so, years, right? And it's yeah, just a bunch of 90-degree corners. I mean, when I used to go on rides out there, you'd have to go two, two and a half hours west to find a decent road. Yeah, so. it's just brutal. Well, yeah, what are you going to do? What, anyway. What are you going to What are you gonna do? Hey, hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Right. Well, look. Well, Jay, let, let me do this. Before yeah, we sign off, it. I just want to say thank you to our patron supporters, uh, Brian E., Rolf S., somebody, uh, Anthony E., Matthew K., Joe Rhodes, Bill M, Ian R, Anthony B, Antonius K, Tim K, we know our boy, Matthew P, and Matthew W. Thank you guys and girls if there aren't. No, there's not a girl in sight. Not a girl in sight. Not that's a girl just in sight. a shame. That's, no. That sounds about that's, right, though. We just want to say thanks to all of our Patreon supporters and, and uh, you know supporting this podcast. We certainly appreciate it. And uh, we'll try to get more content up. You know, I mean, it's going to be tough between now and September because I am on the road a ton. But we'll try to get some some other content up there. 
All right. Well, we both, yeah, we're both on the road a ton and that's to be expected. And, uh, but yeah, man, it's, it's, um, we'll get these done as, as well as we can. We got a lot happening in the next couple of weeks, a lot of fun stuff on two wheels. Thanks everybody for listening. <laughs>